Uh, what did tonight do in terms of regaining respect? Well, I think it gave us an opportunity to have a two-game season. You guys gave us a lot of really positive rat poison. The rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy. <laughs> Kirby, after a loss like this, what's the first thing you tell your team? I love them and I appreciate them. And, you know, the outside noise begins now. You know, we've heard it before, but these, these guys are so solid. We got such great leaders in there. And I didn't have to say a lot in there because the leaders spoke up and talked about what they wanted and how they wanted the next uh, couple weeks to go. And I think when you've got that, you've built the right, the right kind of kids. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Mike Brett. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And it was scheduled to be joined by my cousin Shane. But uh, cousin Shane couldn't make it. Shane was supposed to be on the show, but don't give him too hard of a time. He had a little uh, family situation pop up at the last minute. So, hey, hopefully we'll get him back on the next episode to break down some of these bold matchups. But couldn't go without a show. So much going on in the SEC. If you missed it already, Shane and I already did a uh, SEC championship game emergency podcast gonna do a little bit deeper of a dive after having watched the game twice now we've got all these bowl games finalized for all 13 sec teams and the latest coaching rumors and speculation and now that we got the head coaches finalized now we got all kinds of coach assistant coaches and head coaching moves across the country that uh, could potentially have dominoes in the SEC. So a lot to get to, but uh, let's start with the action there in Atlanta over the weekend. Again, Alabama, of course, you know by now, whipped up on them Georgia Bulldogs 41-24. to And both these teams headed to the college football playoff. We'll get uh, more into those matchups here in a moment. But, you know, Alabama, as crazy as it is to say, I mean, Nick Saban, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, they shocked the world. I didn't see hardly anybody picking Alabama to win this game, but a handful of analysts. I think Lee, Co- Lee Corso was one of them. And usually when Lee's picking a team, that means they're going to lose. Maybe we should have seen something when uh, both Cousin Shane and I both picked them Georgia Bulldogs to win. We should have known the right was on the wall. Alabama was going to win. But just a really uh, impressive performance and even more impressive when you consider the fact that Georgia jumped out to a 10-0 to lead. It looked like they were going to handle their business. Cousin Shane hit me up with so many texts mocking me for saying I thought uh, Alabama would start strong in this thing. But once down 10-0, one of the keys for the game, there was five key moments in this game, in my opinion, and one came after going down 10-0. Alabama, Bryce Young hit Jamison Williams on a 64-yard touchdown pass, and that really seemed to spark the Crimson Tide. If not for that play, I don't know if they win this football game. And it just, you know, it showed that, uh, you know, this Georgia defense, they have an opportunity to take advantage of it. At least that was the sense I got. That looked like the sense that the Alabama team got. They trust in the plan, execute in it. And after a slow start, they could play in this football game. The second biggest moment right before halftime, there was, uh, of course, the second quarter was huge for Alabama 
outscoring 24 points more than Georgia Bulldogs have given up all season long, not only in a quarter, but in an entire game. So that was just huge for the football game. But the key there at the tail end of it, in my opinion, a little bit of a double whammy here because unfortunately John Mechie got hurt on the play. But Bryce Young went for a scramble and he lost the football and he's surrounded by Georgia Bulldogs. Somehow, some way, Bryce Young came up with that football. You know, a turnover there right before half could have really halted Alabama's momentum. Unfortunately, they lost John Minchie for the game, and, and come to find out we've lost him for the season. But after this, Alabama did score twice more, but their offense was uh, without John Minchie, just wasn't the same. And why it was so big that uh, Bryce Young jumped on that ball, because right before half, they score a touchdown, push that lead to, I believe, what would have been 24-17 at the break. Alabama had all the momentum in the world. And what do they do with it? They come right back out, first possession of the second half, 55-yard touchdown strike, Bryce Young to Jamison Williams, 31-17 lead. And I think even the most optimistic Bulldog fans knew at this point in time, you know, this was just not going to be their day. And the defense made their adjustments after this. They didn't allow another touchdown the entire game. But again, those factors up until this point, the defense was getting taken advantage of. When the defense made the corrections, started coming at Bryce Young, it really started to work for him. But unfortunately, when the defense got right, the offense got sidetracked. Stetson Bennett and company couldn't get it done. Uh, after that, Jamison Williams, 55-yard touchdown. Stetson Bennett threw an interception in the red zone right after that. Uh, on the next possession, it was uh, the last play of the third quarter, fourth and 10, down 14 points. Certainly understand Kirby Smart wanted to be aggressive there, but it was fourth and 10. That's not a situation that uh, Stetson Bennett's going to get you out of more often than not. Alabama brought some pressure. Stetson Bennett just threw it basically to no one there. It was essentially a throwaway on fourth down. And then the, the final moment of the game, that was arguably the biggest of the entire game. Stetson Bennett throws the pick six interception. Could have been his second pick six from the same player, Jordan Battle, who nearly had one uh, early in the game. But that was all she wrote, and it was uh, 38-17 at that point and Georgia you know they didn't give up we'll give them a little bit of credit here but just didn't get it done didn't show up and now Kirby's got himself a huge huge question to answer here at the quarterback position it's not you know you can't put it all on Stetson Bennett because Georgia couldn't run the ball that effectively in this game that was a huge issue the defense again massive second quarter breakdowns with the 24 points and then right out of the third quarter allowing another touchdown these are the things that Georgia's got to get corrected if they're going to beat Alabama in a potential rematch in the national championship game but you know credit Nick Saban and, and Bryce Young and Will Anderson and the the entire crew down there in Tuscaloosa because they the right buttons were hit all this week and, and clearly right after the game Nick Saban will get to some of his comments but you know he let it be known this the people picking against us, nobody saying we had a chance. That really drove Alabama. So now the flip, the script is flipped, so to speak. Now they go into the college football playoff, same as normal. Alabama favored to win it all. Georgia, now everybody's going to be counting the Georgia Bulldogs out when 
48 hours ago, that would have been laughable. But now we'll find out, uh, you know, how does Georgia respond? That was something we hit on all last week. How do the Bulldogs respond to adversity? It was the first time that Georgia was going to get challenged. Potentially, they had not been challenged essentially since the, the opener against Clemson. How would they respond? They didn't get it done. Meanwhile, Alabama came limping into this football game, but facing so much adversity week in and week out, the final month of the season, finding ways to get it done. And that certainly seemed to suit them well heading into this SEC championship game. So, man, a lot of storylines from this football game, but I just think the biggest one after it, Nick Saban uh, and the, <laughs> the, the yummy rat poison. Man, they were eating up all the negative energy heading now their way. Uh, and now, of course, Alabama, number one in the college football playoff. Georgia jumps down to number three. So uh, let's kick it over to Nick Saban on the goal heading into this game. What changed for them in that second quarter? Bryce Young steps in here. He was at the podium with Saban, so he'll answer some questions. And this yummy rat poison. After the loss to Texas A&M, you said your team was no longer viewed as elite. Uh, what did tonight do in terms of regaining respect? Well, I think it gave us an opportunity to have a two-game season. We have a two-game season now, I hope. Uh, that's what we're going to work for. That's what we want to do. Um, you know, these players have worked hard all year long. Uh, I think they deserve a lot of respect for what they've been able to accomplish and what they've been able to do. Uh, but at the same time, you know, how are you going to look forward? I'm sure Georgia will get in the playoffs again. and. Uh, still, and they deserve it. They're a very good team. So, you know, it's how do we how do we move forward? We, we've created an opportunity for ourselves where we have um, a chance to to play in the college football playoff. Bryce, what changed in that second quarter offensively? Where things were struggling a little bit in the first quarter, but really exploded in the second. Um. <laughs> You know, I think you know. I think it was just just us as a whole. You know, obviously we wanted to get out to a better start than we did, but um, you know, I think we all stepped up and we all answered the bell. We all understood, you know, what was what was at stake. We all understood that we needed to step up. So um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have the teammates I do that. You know, when when the, our backs kind of against the wall, we understand to need to have a type situation. We kind of got our sparking and, and and started moving. So you know, I'm, I'm happy we started to get going when we did. I actually think that. Um, I agree 100% with what Bryce said, but I think sometimes when you start a game, the speed of the game gets you a little bit. Uh, the speed of their defense, uh, maybe a couple times, I mean, their backs got outside of us uh, because, you know, it was probably happened a little faster than what we'd practiced and what we're used to. And I think once you sort of get used to the speed of the game, like their pass rush and all that, um, I, I, I think you start operating a little bit better. And our efficiency got much better in the offensive line uh, as well as on defense. For Nick, you had mentioned before the game you weren't sure how players would respond to, to being underdogs in this game. Just how do you think they responded, and how much was that used as motivation? Um, I, I think what these guys really wanted to sort of gain was more respect. Um, not just the fact that they were underdogs, because I think we had a tremendous amount of respect for Georgia, their team, and what they accomplished. Um, but you guys gave us a lot of really positive rat poison. The rat poison that you usually give us 
is usually fatal. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy. <laughs> of all the Nick Saban quotes we've had over the years, I don't know if there's going to be one that tops as yummy rat poison. I mean, that has gone so viral. You know, one thing I've yet to mention there with Alabama, and one thing we were, everybody really was counting out, was the fact that uh, Georgia was going to have this massive, massive advantage when it's their defensive line going up against Alabama's struggling offensive line. And those Crimson Tide offensive linemen really came through it in a big, big way. Zero sacks. Georgia had zero sacks, only four tackles for loss in the football game. Bryce Young was giving them uh, some love after the game. And Nick Saban also talked about Stetson Bennett and how they tried to make things difficult on him. And Jordan Battle, Alabama's outstanding defensive back who had the pick six, nearly had two of them. He chimes in here as well as what they tried to do to make things difficult for Stetson. Bryce, how much – usually the offensive line only gets attention from us when they give up seven sacks or something. But how much did those guys impact this game against that – defensive front. Yeah, that was that was everything. Um, you know, it was obviously that's a that's a great front, a great defense. And we knew that coming in and you know, I think they just kept hearing it and hearing it and uh, like coach said, they accepted the challenge and they really stepped up to the plate, you know, in the biggest moment in the season. So, um, in all the success that we have offensively, it always starts up front. So, I am glad that you said that. Um, you know, you only hear about people try to only say negative things about offensive lines in general and about our own line, but you don't understand every time that there's a positive play, and whether it's the run game, the passing, whatever it is, nothing starts without our O-line. And they did an amazing job today. They stepped up to the plate, and I'm happy to, to have the guys that I do. What did you guys do to really fluster Stetson Bennett tonight and obviously force him into a couple of huge mistakes? Go ahead, Jordan, if you want to leave. Uh, I think the main thing in this game was uh, uh, our disguises. Uh, we put in a, a lot of disguises this week, and um, that was a big thing. Um, get his, uh, have his eyes wandering around before the play. Uh, I feel like we did a good job in the back end and in the linebackers uh, stemming and, and disguising. So I think that was a, a big part of the game. Well, I think that, you know, you try to change the picture as much as you can and make the quarterback try to make decisions after he gets the ball in his hand. And, you know, Stetson Bennett to me is very instinctive, very good player. And if he knows what the picture is, and a couple times tonight when he knew what the picture was, that's when he made plays uh, and, and several big plays. Um, so I think us changing the picture on him a little bit helped. And um, we have to play the ball better in a deep part of the field. Um, we've had a couple of those the last couple of weeks that are things that we need to do better. Um, but all in all, I think that that was the probably the one thing that helped it the most. And pass rush always helps you if you get good pass rush. And um, we, we affected him in the pocket. He scrambled some, um, which is, you know, you hate. But you're also affecting a guy when you do that because you're not throwing a ball in town. All right, now flipping to the other side, I mean, so many questions to be answered in Athens. Is this defense as elite? as we thought, certainly didn't look like it on Saturday. Where is this offensive production going to come from? If they get into a shootout, they couldn't get it done here on Saturday. That goes without saying, will JT Daniels be the quarterback in the playoff? That's yet to be determined. And I've had a lot of questions about this. Is JT Daniels even healthy? 
You go back to that Missouri game, he didn't – I don't know if it was rust or what, but he just didn't look like the same player. I've been told that JT Daniels 100% cleared. So anyone out there throwing it out that, uh, you know, he's not good to go, he's 100% physically capable of playing. And, you know, maybe this was just a very bad performance from Stetson Bennett. But here we've got two Georgia and Alabama games that Stetson Bennett has started at quarterback for the Bulldogs. And ironically, same score each time, 41-24. to 24. He just can't win a shootout. doesn't matter if it's Mac Jones or Bryce Young. or There's a ceiling there that uh, Stetson Bennett just doesn't seem to be capable of uh, utilizing. And, you know, I, I've also heard complaints that Georgia doesn't have enough weapons, but that doesn't seem to be the case when JT Daniels is in there because he's able to push that ball down the field. So, you know, in my opinion, we've, we've, seen, a, we've seen what we got in Stetson Bennett. Again, maybe the defense comes in lockdown mode. No job mention. You don't have to worry about that. But they still got Jameson Williams and Alabama's running backs are going to be getting healthier. Their offensive line's got confidence. There's, uh, you know, I, I really think Georgia's going to have to win 30-plus points to beat Alabama and help to even maybe to even beat Michigan. So tough, tough questions to be answered here. Kirby talked about that after the game. He said he got a wake-up call, him and his team, which uh, he kind of <laughs> – it's, it's funny, but he points to Alabama and how they got a wake-up call after Texas A&M, how that really helped them. And he was also asked about the uh, quarterback pecking order, and he was pretty noncommittal about uh, his plans at this point. You know, after a 12-0 regular season, to have a performance like this, what, what does it do to the psyche heading into uh, your next game and, and uh, you know, the damage it's, it just does to that? Oh, no, it didn't do any damage. No, it, what it did is reinvigorated our energy. It recenters you. Right, I mean, I think one of the, their, their greatest things when they, they lost their game against Texas A&M, they were garner some focus and some attention. I mean, to me, that, that's an opportunity for a wake-up call, if anything. Uh, unfortunate that it comes in a setting like this, but I mean, we, they, look, they're a really good football team, okay? And the narrative out there was, well, they just went at Auburn and they really struggled, and some of the sacks they gave up, their, their tackle didn't even get out of his stance. You know, the crowd noise was a major impact there. Auburn played, man, most of the down, almost every single play, and they won a lot of their battles that we didn't win tonight. But we knew the narrative coming in, these guys can throw the ball, and they got a really good quarterback. Um, and they gave him an opportunity to make plays, and he, he made a lot of really good plays along with their wideouts. And, Kirby, I, I understand Alabama scored 41 points tonight, but there's always debate about the quarterback uh, situation. There's going to be debate about – who should start in the playoffs. Can you just sort of address that and whether you think you have a decision to make about who starts in the playoffs? We have a decision to make every week at every position, but I have the utmost confidence in Stetson Bennett and think he did some really nice things tonight, you know, but we, we, we go and reevaluate everything all the time. But, you know, he played well and uh, it's tough, tough environment. We put him in defensively and didn't, you know, we have to be able to run the ball and have a little bit of semblance of balance. And I felt like there was times a night that we were getting into a, you know, a scoring contest because our, our defense didn't get stops. Um, and you don't want to have to do that. But I certainly have a lot of confidence in Stetson, and I have a lot of confidence in JT, too. All right, so, again, it's tough to read what uh, Kirby's going to do here. But, you know, I'm not saying anything Georgia fans don't know, but Kirby's been second-guessed time and time again how he's handled these quarterback situations that any rival SEC fan is, uh, you know, just pointing and, and, and mocking and having fun. And everyone expects Kirby to, to screw this up is my read on it and because that's just going off his history. I mean, that's kind of what it's been. So all of a sudden, Kirby Smart, so much pressure on him to get this thing 
to the finish line in the college football playoff. And it just made me wonder, I mean, if this Georgia team cannot beat Alabama, I know Alabama's good, but if you get two cracks at Alabama, Nick Saban, and you can't get it done with this team, I don't know. I have to be wondering if you're ever going to get it done because Alabama's, I don't know, as they look, they look, have looked flawed all season long. I mean, let's be, be real. I mean, they've had about three or four dominant performances this season and the rest have been not the same old, same old Alabama. Coach O said it after playing them. I mean, it's plain as day yet. Going up against Georgia, I mean, Alabama clearly looked like the most dominant team. They looked like the team better prepared. They had a better plan, and they executed that plan on Saturday. So all of a sudden, I think that we got some real, real pressure. Not saying we fired Kirby Smart, nothing crazy like that, but just imagine the offseason talking points and the storylines if they cannot finish this deal and get blown out once again by Alabama in a college football playoff in the coming weeks ahead would be a tough, tough look for Kirby and then Bulldogs. Uh, and that, again, speaking of a bad look, Kirby was asked about Bryce Young and this offense and, and the issues defending the Alabama and all the adjustments that need to be made and his message to the team after the game. You talked all week about how quick Bryce was at getting the football out. I mean, do you credit to you guys not getting enough pressure on him to that, or do you feel like their front actually really did a good job of blocking up you guys? I'd be hard-pressed to say without watching it. You know, we got pressure at times, and he got the ball out. You know, he escaped pressure and got it out. And there were times we didn't. We, we rushed four a couple times and, uh, and didn't get any pressure, and he held the ball. One of those touchdowns, I felt like he held the ball forever, you know. But you can't do the same thing every play. You got to pitch, and you got to mix it up. And look, guys, he's I've seen a lot of good ones in this league. He's, he's, he's special. And, you know, you might play a quarterback as talented, but you might not play a, a group of skilled receivers with that. It's the combination of the, the wideout group they had, at least those two guys, and, uh, and him making some plays. I mean, he made plays with his feet. Kirby, if you all end up playing Alabama again, what adjustments do you think you'll have to make to have your give yourselves the best chance to win? I don't know that I can answer that right now. You know, I'd like to review the tape and see it. I mean, the first answer would be don't leave people uncovered. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the that's the first objective. Let's let's cover them and then try to win some one-on-ones and get balls down. Cuz look now they're going to they're going to throw in complete balls. They're 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 really good at doing that. So you you've got to at the end of the day, you have to put a body on a body and cover them and you know, some of the plays we gave were gifts. Kirby, after a loss like this, what's the first thing you tell your team? I love them and I appreciate them and you know, the outside noise begins now. You know, we've heard it before, but these these guys are so solid. we got such great leaders in there. And I didn't have to say a lot in there because the leaders spoke up and talked about what they wanted and how they wanted the next uh, couple weeks to go. And I think when you've got that, you've built the right, the right kind of kids. To me, he's saying all the right things here, but nobody cares if you're going to lose the damn most important game of the year. And that's what Georgia did. And now they've got a couple weeks to solve this thing before they face uh, – the Michigan Wolverines in the college football playoff. So hey, we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, before we get to all this bowl action here, I want to give you guys the latest on the coaching front here. Now I know Billy Napier was officially announced on Sunday in Gainesville. 
And uh, I'm not going to have anything on his presser here. I'm going to wait for the next episode, which will come out on Tuesday. Just so much going on with the bowl games and the SEC championship game. I thought it it would be a little too much to shovel in here. But good news for the Gators. And this is something that uh, we talked about when Billy Napier was officially made the hire. He's bringing his Louisiana defensive coordinator, Patrick Tooney, to Gainesville. And Louisiana had a top 10 scoring defense in the country last season. This was an assistant coach that I've been hearing a lot of great things about. And he was going to be a hot commodity here this offseason. So you're keeping uh, that Louisiana tie together. Defensive coordinator, head coach now coming to the Florida Gators. We all know what an issue the defense has been in Gainesville in recent seasons under Todd Grantham. So Tooney hopefully can get that thing resolved. And... The only other thing I got on Billy Napier, real quick, his contract details came out. Seven-year contract, $51.8 million. He's the fifth highest-paid coach in the SEC to, as of today. He's going to make $7.1 million his first season. And that's, that's a hell of a lot of money. I mean, this is uh, Coach O money. That Right after he won the national championship and got himself a big raise. But that's... The price of uh, doing business in the SEC, Billy Napier is now your fifth highest paid SEC coach. Now, there'll be some other guys here that get raises and and probably knock that down a peg or two. But it's interesting that the Gators, uh, and I don't want to say broke the bank here because we're seeing $100 million contracts across college football. But seven years, $51.8 million for Billy Napier. He's got to be a happy man. And speaking of contracts, Lane Kiffin down at Ole Miss, he got himself a new contract, raise and extension. Now, we said this many times on the show before, but if you're, again, if you're not familiar with it, in the state of Mississippi, state employees can only be on four-year contracts. So Ole Miss, Mississippi State, basically every offseason make a big deal about contract extensions, but really what they're doing is giving their coaches a one-year extension. Now, Kiffin got a nice little raise here, but – you know, you just always want to keep your coach on a four-year deal for recruiting purposes and making everybody uh, aware that, uh, you know, the program's bought in. So that's what this really is. You know, and I guess Kiffin, you know, the, the carousel's kind of winding down here. Good time for Ole Miss to announce this deal. Kiffin says, oh, there's a lot of paperwork that needs to go into it. But uh, okay, buddy. But uh, $7.5 million annually for Lane Kiffin on his new contract. Got to assume that uh, is for four. So we're talking around $30 million for his four-year total. Got himself a nice little raise there. And, you know, the latest, uh, this just announced right as I'm sitting here recording this, but Oklahoma has finalized a deal with Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables. That was a a name to watch there. If you go back and uh, that's someone that we talked about for the Oklahoma job. It was going to be a prime candidate. He is now officially the new Oklahoma coach, Brent Venables. And why I'm roping this into Ole Miss, because this morning, and there was about five or six different trustworthy reporters all saying the same thing. It was Chris Lowe, it was Bruce Feldman, I believe it was Ross Dellinger, among others, saying that uh, Brent Venables was going to be the new coach, and it was looking like Jeff Levy was going to be the new offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Now, that Jeff Levy news is not finalized yet, but uh, here we're going to play some of Kiffin's comments, and he's asked about staff turnover. He says he expects to lose some coaches. As 
That's just business of college football. If you do well, you're going to lose assistant coaches. So it sounds like Jeff Levy, who's an Oklahoma graduate, going to jump over to the Sooners, be their new offensive coordinator. But let's kick it over to Lane Kiffin talking about his new contract and uh, on the fact that uh, he expects some coach turnover this offseason in Oxford. What did it mean to you to kind of get that contract extension done? And was there any doubt that you were going to stick around to uh, stay as the Ole Miss head coach? And what does it mean to still be there and, and get it done and be there for years to come? Well, I think sometimes people don't understand these things, you know, sometimes have been in the works for a while. And this had been a long time, um, you know, just happened to be finalized and announced yesterday. So, like I said, this was not just about me. This was a lot of getting things in place, which, um, you know, the Keith, Keith and the Chancellor were all about. We just had to get it all, you know, talked about and, and it takes time. And a big part of that is making sure all the things in place in the future for the players from facility standpoint, and then for the coaches to make sure that, you know, we're able to keep these guys around um, and compete at the highest level, um, which is what we're trying to do, not just for one year, like we did this year and have, you know, 10 wins and, and all these accomplishments, but to do this for a long period of time um, takes all those things in place. Um, you don't continue to win at that level, you know, just because you hit one year and have a hot quarterback and, and different things. You know, if you're going to do it for a long period of time, especially in the SEC, you got to have everything else in place. Hey, Lana, you mentioned uh, coaching staff. I was curious uh, how, how confident are you that you're going to be able to retain the staff that you've had? How much are you having to kind of prepare for potential departures for people getting other jobs? Well, I've said it before. You know, this is <clears throat> when you win, and, and especially to me when you win with style, that people watch, you know, they say, okay, hey, I want to go buy that system, that style. And um, I'm not saying we're Alabama, but that's a lot of times why you see so many coaches leaving Alabama is people want to go get what they're doing. And so um, we lost coaches a year ago to when we first got out of Alabama and then last year to Texas, Oklahoma. Um, so I don't take it personal. It's part of the business, you know, when you're doing really well. Um, because the players are playing really well, your assistant coaches, people want to come get them. So, like I said about the head coach, it's the same thing. You know, if you're losing, a lot of people want trying to come take your coaches. So it's a good problem to have. It's one we have to deal with, and we'll always find the best ones out there. And you know, there's a good chance we may lose one this year. So there's all kinds of factors that go into why coaches leave, and um, so I, I understand that. Just, I remember you saying that people need to see Matt Corral while they still can, and uh, uh, it's my understanding he's going to be good to go for this game. But um, what do you think? Uh, you know, what are your feelings on being able to, if he does play, coach him in one last good game and in a bowl game? Um, uh, you know, and um, and just all that he's meant to the team this season, and what your hopes are for him in this game? Yeah, he's a special kid, and just a special relationship. Um, I just watched him, you know, go over to the band and the fans after the Egg Bowl and, um, you know, almost got emotional. And I had to remind myself, I got one more with him. So um, that wasn't the last one. But I don't know exactly why the bond is what it is. People have said, you know, the California thing or, you know, we both, USC didn't want either of us. <laughs> they got rid of him and me both. But um, 
I just love seeing how far he's come. I love stories. Just had a recruit also ask, you know, what, what do you like most about coaching is when you see a transformation in a college kid, um, whether that's him or Sam Williams, uh, you know, it's just really neat to see that and be a part of it. And, um, he's just such a great leader and such a great kid. Just really proud of him. And, and Now, final thing on Ole Miss, and again, I'm not saying this is, uh, you, you know, going to hinder – the Rebels here, but uh, I don't think we've talked about this yet, but UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel, I believe his name is, the guy that uh, starred for Josh Heupel, he has entered the, entered the transfer portal after this season, and rumor has it he was headed to Ole Miss. And now why? He wanted to play for Jeff Levy, who, who he crossed paths with at Central Florida. So is Dylan Gabriel still holding Ole Miss? You know, there's still a good chance to go – reconnect with Lane Kiffin. Certainly that's got to be a selling point. Oklahoma's pretty situated at the quarterback position as long as Caleb Williams stays in Norman. If not, maybe that's a potential landing spot for Dylan Gabriel, but that's going to be a situational monitor for Ole Miss because it sounded like uh, the former UCF quarterback was on his way to Ole Miss, and now with the a potential change in offensive coordinator, we'll have to see if that's still in the works. And, hey, how about this news? Not officially SEC related, at least not at this point, but Carolina Panthers turned around and made uh, some pretty surprising news on Sunday. They fired offensive coordinator Joe Brady. And of course, uh, every SEC and LSU fan knows that name. So all of a sudden, one of the hottest coordinators in college football history, I know he's only there for one year, but it's pretty remarkable what they did in 2019 down at Baton Rouge. All of a sudden, Joe Brady's available. So we'll see where Joe Brady lands. Does he stay in the NFL? Does he come back to college football? I honestly have no idea, but I do know Brian Kelly's down there searching for an offensive coordinator. I know I'd sure as hell be picking up the phone and calling Joe Brady. Maybe if I'm Shane Beamer, maybe if he wants to stay in Carolina. I know Marcus Satterfield's still got a job, but hell, I give me Joe Brady. That's what uh, was the sell when we got Marcus Satterfield. It was going to be Joe Brady offense. Well, it sure as hell ain't Joe Brady's offense, but I expect uh, Joe Brady, his phone to be ringing off the hook right now after uh, being let go here on Sunday. And we'll keep you posted on where that thing is. And last but not least here, again, this is not SEC related, but it's so weird. And who knows how the dominoes will play out. Could affect the SEC in a roundabout way, potentially. But uh, Oregon coach Mario Cristobal apparently has been offered the Miami job, according to Sports Illustrated's uh, Ross Dellinger. And he's got till Monday to, to accept it. Now, keep in mind, Manny Diaz is still the head coach at Miami. So Miami's got a sitting head coach, and they've got an offer out to their next head coach if he wants it. And if he turns it down, they're going to keep Manny Diaz. That's – if you're wondering why Miami uh, football is in the toilet, it's because of moves like this. I mean, what a poor move. And, and apparently Manny Diaz is out in the recruiting trail here on Sunday trying to I cannot imagine the questions he's being asked on the recruiting trail about whether he's going to be there or not because, frankly, it sounds like it's up to Mario Cristobal whether Manny Diaz is uh, in Miami or not next season. But, hey, that'll be wild. And like I said, if uh, the Oregon job comes open, who knows? Who knows the dominoes that could affect? Let's hope uh, an SEC coach doesn't leave for that position, but stranger things have happened. So we'll keep you posted on all that. But, hey, we got some bowl games to break down here. And, of course, we got to start with the college football playoffs where number one Alabama 
is going to be taking on number four, Cincinnati, in the Cotton Bowl. And this game is going to kick off on December 31st, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central on ESPN. The college football playoff semifinal matchup. And the other semifinal, the Orange Bowl in Miami, Georgia versus Michigan. Again, December 31st. That game is going to be 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central on ESPN. And we've got some point spreads only for those two. They don't have uh, point spreads yet for the rest of the bowl games, but Alabama's favored by 13.5 over Cincinnati. The over-under is 59. And Georgia favored by over Michigan by 7. A touchdown here. Over-under 43.5, and that one a rock fight. But at least according to the spreads here, SEC favored to meet in the national championship. And I'm sure people from um, outside the SEC footprint that kind of roll their eyes at that, don't want to see it anymore. But, man, there was a point Saturday night watching Georgia and Alabama just go at it. How could you want to see anything but that? And it's not that, uh, you know, the little guy deserves a chance. You know, these other teams deserve a chance. But, I mean, it truly is. It was a heavyweight fight. Saturday in Atlanta. I know it was a little one-sided there for a while after Alabama went on their roll, but I mean, I think even the most, uh, I think unbiased fans will tell you on any given day, I think either one of those teams can win the football game. And I'm sure Alabama, once again, they're going to have a huge psychological advantage. They just whipped up on Georgia. I'm not sitting here that I'm saying I'm picking Georgia. If Who knows if they even make it. If, if you were to put money on one team to make the college football playoff out of these two, I think you got to push all your money into Alabama. And it has to do with the fact they're playing Cincinnati. And it has to do with the fact with all the momentum they got. And it has to do with the fact where they don't have to worry about their psyche getting hit. I mean, who knows? Georgia may just, this may have started an epic collapse that'll bleed over to the college football playoff. Michigan, hell, they've only lost one game this year. They beat the hell out of Ohio State. They just ran through Iowa. I think it was 42-3. to in the Big Ten Championship. So, hey, Georgia did this to themselves, put themselves in a uh, disadvantaged position compared to Alabama, but that's the breaks of the game, and that's why uh, that's why Saturday's win in Atlanta was so huge for them Crimson Tide. Now, moving on to uh, the only other New Year's Six game we've got involving an SEC team, the Sugar Bowl down in New Orleans. Ole Miss versus Baylor. That's going to be January 1st at 8.45 Eastern, 7.45 Central on ESPN. And then here we got a bunch of bowl games here. The rest of the SEC, the Citrus Bowl down in Orlando, Kentucky versus Iowa, January 1st, 1 o'clock, noon Central on ABC. Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Mississippi State versus Texas Tech, the Mike Leach Bowl. Remember they fired old Leach for uh, throwing that kid in a – tool shed or something like that december 28th 6:45 eastern 5:45 central on espn mississippi state's already played in memphis this year and lost that game uh due in large part to those fucking refs blowing the game but uh hey mississippi state headed back to uh familiar grounds there the duke mayo bow in charlotte south carolina versus north carolina that's going to be december 30th 11:30 eastern 10:30 central on espn and shane beamer has already said he will take the Duke Mayo mayonnaise bath if they win that football game. So can't wait for that. Uh, the Music City Bowl in Nashville, Tennessee versus Purdue, December 30th, 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central on ESPN. The Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, Texas A&M 
versus Wake Forest, December 31st, 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 a.m. Central on ESPN. And speaking of the Aggies, wanted to make this note. Defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal, he's announced he's going pro, and he is not expected to play in the bowl game against Wake Forest, so wanted to make fans aware of that. The Outback Bowl in Tampa, Arkansas versus Penn State, January 1st, noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central on ESPN2. And great news for the Razorbacks here on Sunday. Won't have this guy available for the game, but you'll have him next season. More importantly, former five-star Oklahoma transfer receiver Jadon Hazelwood has transferred to Sam Pittman's program, or at least he announced he's headed that way. I don't think it's uh, finalized, but he has announced it. You know, there's there's no um, – you got to say that in the transfer portal area. It ain't official till they sign up, but huge pickup here for the Razorbacks. Potentially, you know, he's not a Traylon Burks. There's there's so few of those guys out there, but he's got the talent of that. I mean, he was the nation's number one overall receiver prospect in the 2019 recruiting cycle. Caught 39 passes for 399 yards and six touchdowns last season for Oklahoma. So this isn't a case of some five-star bus that can't play football, and, and now you're getting him. This is a guy that uh, clearly doesn't want to play for the Sooners anymore with uh, Lincoln Riley no longer there. Now he's going to go play for Kendall Bryles in a similar offense, so we'll have to see how that goes. We got the Texas Bowl here in Houston, LSU versus Kansas State, January 4th, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central on ESPN. The Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth, Texas, Missouri versus Army, on December 22nd, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on ESPN. Ooh, Missouri against a uh, service academy. That could be dangerous there if uh, they don't come ready to defend that run. The Gasparilla Bowl, which is in Tampa. we got Florida versus Central Florida. Uh-oh. December 23rd, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central on ABC. And last but not least, the Birmingham Bowl. Auburn versus Houston which Houston's won 10 or 11 games this year. So this could be an interesting matchup here. December 28th, noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central on ESPN. Ooh, so we got 13 teams going bowling. Cannot wait for that. Going to have, uh, you know, all kinds of, we'll have all kinds of content, news and notes on all those matchups in the days and weeks to come. But, uh, man, so much action here in the SEC. We're, the season may be over, technically, the regular season, but doesn't seem like the news is slowing down at all. So we're going to keep coming at you guys with uh, as many podcasts as there is news out there. And, and on the next episode, we'll break down more into this uh, Billy Napier. All these coaches have held pressers since these bowl announcements that just took place. So we'll break down highlights from those. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to keep this thing rolling for the time being. But had to give you an episode now that uh, – you know, we just had the SEC championship. Now we got all these coaching moves and notes. But uh, I think that's going to do it, man. I'm starting to <laughs> starting to wind out here. About to pass out. Keep talking to myself. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one.